Today on Semi-Intellectual Musings, Matt shares his fondness of pens. Bill has his first in-person encounter with a listener. We explore conferences and Congress 2017. And we invite you to ask, where are we going? Is it desirable? And what should be done? Woman, woman, tell me your name. Let me have my life reclaimed. But I have to say, this pen that I'm using, like, I'm loving it, man. It uh, it streams out, the ink comes out really well, it's got a good grip, and then as, as I was looking at it, it says Mel and, Mel and Phil. Yeah. And the wedding date. So yeah. I'm like, was this the pen that you signed your registry with? And apparently not, it's for the guest book, but like, you could tell that Phil is a man who enjoys a good pen. I, I go pen hunting. Uh, I, I will... Uh... You, I, I, like I probably go through like forty to fifty pens a year, um, and when I come across a model that I really like, I'll buy like two two cases of it. Oh, really? But, yeah. Like you got a bit of a like those. Feel uh, Yeah, those like I have probably like a hundred up here in the office, and then another case of like maybe two hundred down in the basement. That's exciting. My dad, uh, my dad's got a. I don't know what the psychological term is, but a, a penphilia. Yeah. Like he collects pens, and ever since I was a kid, like we would. It would be the go-to, like, birthday or Christmas present. You just get my dad a nice new pen. And while he's on the phone, he'll just sit there and, like, sign his own name. Right. Yeah, and it's uh, it's funny. Like, I got him uh, an Ion, like a Swiss Ion or whatever oh, pen, yeah, um, good. like, 10 years ago, and it still works, man. Yeah. Like, no ink changes yet. It's it's And he uses it every day. Was it, like, the space pens or whatever? Yeah, they're, uh, that's why I bought it. It yeah. was like you can write upside down in space or whatever. And yeah. I'm like, oh, my dad needs that for pest control. <laughs> Do you remember the, um, so there's two kind of episodes of the West Wing, actually, that talk about pens. Really? Yeah. Do you remember them? No, no. So, uh, well, the first one that I, that comes to mind is uh, Jed Bartlett, the president, is sitting at his desk and he goes, um, Where, where's a pen? I need a pen. And Charlie, his assistant, just kind of pulls the pen that's out in front of him. He goes, no, 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 that's a fancy pen. I need like an everyday pen, something that's not too light but not too heavy, has a good grip, good ink flow, all this kind of stuff. And uh, anyway, the setup to it was that like his assistant, Mrs. Lettingham, had just died and she was the keeper of the pens and she would always slip a pen into his coat pocket or whatever. Oh, right. I do remember that episode. Yeah, that was like uh, one of those like on a very special West Wing Right, yeah, yeah. Uh, so that's the first story about Ben's that comes to mind. And the second one, I think it was on the West Wing. I'm pretty sure. Maybe it was on something else. But it was about how uh, Americans had spent like, uh, I don't know, X number of million dollars trying to develop this space pen. And then, uh, you know, it's probably Toby or someone turns around and says, well, like, uh, what did the Russians bring up? And uh, the person goes, well, pencils. Oh, right. <laughs> That's genius. Oh, my goodness. So, like, yeah, I just, love the West Wing. Yeah, just it, it was just kind of like uh, two kind of pen stories. <laughs> but pens are so important. I don't yeah. know. I, I really like a good pen. Yeah. Right now, I'm really digging um, the the Pilot. Uh, oh, Pilot's the shit, man. Yeah, it's yeah. like this uh, V5 grip. It's um, I don't, I like ballpoint pens, mm. um, but sometimes I'll get like the, the nice, the new gel yeah, kind of pen. Yeah, like the really the the thin lined, like the razor one. Yeah, those ones. Um, like you can't mess with the the ballpoint, like that has been developed back in like the twenties. Like yeah. the the sharp pens now, they run out of ink so easily. You have to hold them at a very specific angle. And um, we should get off of this topic of pens, my friend. Yeah, <laughs> um, I don't even know, know what I'm talking about yeah, anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm dehydrated. <laughs> Um, so how was your week at work, man? Uh, my week at work is, uh, was, was okay. It was good. I'm nearing the end, uh, of my work tenure there. I decided to, uh, focus on the podcast (laughs) among other things (laughs) such as a PhD. Um, so yeah, my, my, my time is kind of running, running down, have a few more shifts left there. And it's, it's kind of sad, you know, to, to leave a place where you've been for a while and gotten into the the habit the custom you know yeah the, you've been there for more than a year or so is uh, that right no more than two years now two years wow yeah. wow yeah um so how is it like wrapping it up there like it's weird like backing have up you had office. an awkward cake party that's what my wife no, calls it at yet. work <laughs> where they just stand around awkwardly eating cake at 12 <laughs> yeah no we haven't had that yet but we did uh when when mel and i 
uh, announced our, our our wedding or whatever, um, my team did an awkward cake party, and it was <laughs> it was kind of interesting because uh, I'm not, I'm not going to say you know who was in the room, but there is someone who you would never kind of picture sitting there eating a little chocolate mousse cake with us and it was just kind of like oh god like i have nothing to say to this person <laughs> like you know regardless of whatever comes out of my mouth i'm gonna think that i'm an idiot oh wow when we stop recording i'm totally gonna get the yeah. name of that person <laughs> yeah um but uh so i've been talking about the podcast to everyone at work like i've been you know oh really you're oh, promoting yeah. like on your way oh. out you're just like download my podcast yeah retweet like i'm i'm at the point where i'm thinking of putting up posters on my last day and just like you know postering the whole place with the, the logo <laughs> and the link and then just like Mic drop, walk away. Get some pens made up. Um, but it was a kind of an interesting thing. I think it was uh, Wednesday morning. So I my my routine is I go into work, I buy a coffee, I go up. You know, it's kind of one of these big office buildings downtown Ottawa. So there's this kind of cafe that sells, among other things, like donut, uh, not donuts, muffins and breakfast sandwiches and this kind of stuff. And it gets it can get pretty busy depending on what time you are in the morning. So I guess I was in there and I was talking with one of the owners who who's a good friend and a couple of people behind uh, serving the sandwiches and muffins and whatever while I was just waiting about the podcast. And I was just telling them, you know, you, you really got to get on it and then uh, grab my coffee. And for some reason, I decided to go out for a smoke. So yeah. I had my coffee in the morning. I was early. For some for reason. Yeah, I guess. Yeah, so I, I had my I had my coffee. I had my smoke and I was on my phone, probably just looking at the news or messing around. And I hear, hey. Uh, I didn't like, there's a lot of people around. Right. So I didn't say anything. Yeah. And then he goes, Hey, again. And I kind of like, what? what? And he goes, y- you're the guy from the podcast. And I was like, well, what? Yeah. He goes, yeah, you're the, you're one of the guys on the podcast. And I was like, Oh, uh, crazy. Yesterday I was thinking, I'm like, when is it going to be the moment when you like run into someone in public and they're like, Oh, I listened to your podcast. Yeah. So that, that was, Whoa, that's so soon. So, like like it's I so know. soon to have, that must've really weirded you out. Oh, man. I was totally weirded out. Uh, <laughs> so I kind of like tilted my head and I was like, maybe. And he goes, <laughs> no, no, I heard you last week talking about the podcast in there. So then, like, I went and I found it, and I've been listening to it, and I saw... Whoa. So we had posted a, a, a picture um, when we did the interview with Mel. Yeah. And we were in there. Oh, so he saw you so there, he, right? So he saw, yeah. saw us there. And I'm, like, thinking of who follows us on Twitter and, like, you know, who sent us emails and whatever, and I'm yeah. just like... You just assume everyone's a bot. At, like, yeah. in these early stages, like, what episode number is this, by the way? Uh, this is episode 10. This is episode this 10? This is episode 10, my oh, friend. Oh, how exciting. It's an exciting time in, yeah. uh, in our podcast land. Yeah, we, it's just going to be a regular old episode. Yeah, it's going to be a regular think. episode. Yeah. So anyway, uh, ba- back to my story. So, you know, I tilt my head, tell the guy, like, maybe. He tells me, like, why he knows me or whatever. And uh, I don't know, like, at a certain point in social relationships, you understand who the weirdo of the relationship is. Like, did you realize that you are the weirdo, Phil? No. No, like oh, no. 15 seconds in, I was like, oh God, this, this person is much, much weirder than myself. How so? Like we can't alienate our three listeners. Nah. <laughs> so I was like, okay, well I got to like, he's just standing there, like staring at me. And I was like, okay, I got to ask him a question, I guess. So I was Does like, he well, work like in your building yeah, somewhere? Yeah, he works in the building. Yeah, okay. Uh, but not, not where I work. He works somewhere else. He's like the janitor. <laughs> no, no. Um, so I was like, well, have you been enjoying it? And he goes, yeah, you know, I've, I've been enjoying it. Um, oh, no. Some of the academic stuff is over my head. So that's a little like uh, hard for me to follow. Um, I was like, oh, are you a social scientist? Are you in the humanities or arts? He goes, no, no. Oh, that's good. That didn't, didn't what we want, but, right? Yeah, but then didn't tell me what he does do. Oh, very Like cryptic. I was opening doors for the conversation and yeah. he just wasn't walking through them. Oh, that is a very awkward it's encounter an... where they like just, it's shut, like you have closed responses or yeah. whatever and then the conversation just shuts down. Yeah. You're like, so uh, how about this rain we've been getting? Yeah, yeah. Do you like rain? So, but, <laughs> but then it started getting even weirder. Oh, God. <laughs> so I was like, okay, you've been enjoying it. Um, okay, yeah, so like I didn't say sorry, but I was basically like, okay, well, like the podcast is about academic stuff so maybe it's not your kind of podcast he goes well you know i I've li- what? I don't do that <laughs> no i didn't i didn't say that i didn't I say that. gone home with the guy and like hung out all day no no i didn't say that so um you know i said well have you been enjoying like the intros and the recommendations he says yeah yeah i really like the intros and recommendations you guys are pretty funny and uh, he goes but i do have one recommendation for you okay and i was like oh maybe i'll get an episode out of him or something he is goes is it like eating roadkill 
No, no, no. <laughs> no, no. Come on, man. He goes, um, you know, I've been, you know, I, I, I listened to quite a few podcasts and I think you guys should sound better. And, oh, I, wow, and, really? and I kind of tilted my head the other way and I was like, well, like, what do you mean? He goes, well, when I listen to some other podcasts, um, I feel like they have a lot of listeners because they sound good. And I was like, uh, that's weird because that's the one thing I think we do pretty well. Like, yeah, not, not you, bad. You, I mean, like we're improving. You're just learning. It's only yeah. our 10th episode, but yeah. I, like right out of the gate, I thought we sounded good. So he kept saying these other podcasts. So at a certain point I was like, well, which ones? And yeah. he goes, well, you guys should sound like cereal. Oh God. And I, and I, I wish. And I kind of took a step back and I was like, you're comparing us to cereal. Yeah. That's crazy. Okay. Like, that's like, I don't even like, that's, that'd be absurd if either of us like, man, next month I want to be like cereal. Yeah. Like obviously like, you know, cereal. Slow huge... down. We should start with this American life. Yeah. Maybe. <laughs> like, um, like obviously cereal like has a huge budget and they can afford. Yeah. It's like radio lab and, and stuff. they have yeah, like yeah. professionals doing yeah, it. Yeah. And you know, so I kind of like tilted my head again at him and I was like, yeah, but like there's a, there's there's a huge difference between what we're doing and what Serial's doing or any of those huge podcasts. He goes, no, I'm just saying, like, you know, if if you want to be good, then you should just sound better. Oh, and, I, and, and I was like, okay, man. Like, it, was like the, it was like the internet came to life. Yeah. It was, <laughs> it was but like, like a in, message board in, just came and met you at work. <laughs> in person. Yeah, yeah, it's weird. And I was like, okay, well, thanks for listening. Um, you sure you know, to like our tweets? <laughs> I, I, hope, I hope you continue listening. So obviously the person's... I hope is listening to this one. And yeah. I just want to like put this out there. There's no way that like two dudes sitting in my office. In the fucking woods, man. In woods can sound like cereal. And that's not what's going to get us huge listener numbers. Thanks for the thought, I guess. But like, come on. Continue to download, please. Yeah. Anyway, so that's what happened to me at work. Maybe I was a little harsh there. Maybe I don't really mean like, fuck you. Like, you know, seriously. So then Phil, what is this uh, podcast all about? Do your spiel. Well, welcome. This is Semi-Intellectual <laughs> Musings. Um, I'm Philip Primo. I'm joined by... Matt Sanderson. Uh, this is the podcast that talks about social sciences, humanities, and arts. We do it through book reviews. We do it through interviews. We touch on topics and themes that we find uh, can speak most directly to your everyday life. Our commitment to you is that what we recommend, what we talk about, what we say that we care about um, is our true, honest opinions. Uh, we're not going to go around BSing you. Um, and really what the podcast attempts to do is to link the published world to the everyday world. Yeah, totally, Phil. Um, and without alienating anyone at the same time, I guess. And, uh, you know, I, it's funny, I, I mentioned this on a previous podcast. I was talking to my buddy from back home and he had the same sort of thing where he was like, yeah, it goes over my head a little bit. So I think, um, just for me personally, I'll do a better job of asking questions and clarifying it, just acting as if like, I, I don't know, I don't know. Um, but, uh, that guy who you met at work, uh, he can go fuck himself. <laughs> yeah. Maybe, uh, now I'm thinking back, maybe it was a bit harsh. There. A little harsh. Like, we might have to record this intro again. <laughs> yeah. I'm thinking maybe, should I cut that out? Should I edit it out? I don't no, know. No, I don't maybe. think we do that in our intro. No, I don't think so either. No. It's but our, it's our honest opinions. It is our honest opinions. And, um, you know, as you can probably hear from our, our tone and our conversation, uh, we don't take ourselves too seriously. Uh, the podcast is, is meant to be, uh, whimsical. Uh, it's meant to be accessible. It's meant to uh, render what could sometimes be thought as or felt as a scary, dark, intellectual place. Uh, we're trying to lighten that up a bit. Yeah. Uh, you know, That's a good ma- way of putting it, actually. Yeah, That's I just yeah. just kind of thought of that uh, yeah. of that way of putting it. Um, you know, I'm we're sitting in our in uh, in my uh, work office, and there's a, a bookshelf behind us. There's all these kind of famous authors and all these kind of you know, really classical books. Um, and what we want to do is take those off the bookshelf, broadcast it out, and kind of tell a message about them in a broader way. Yeah, like Fahrenheit 451 episode. I just listened to that this morning, and uh, um, it was a lot, like, further reaching than I thought. And I <laughs> I didn't realize how many times I said, well, I never really thought of it that way before. And I read that book, like, what, like 15 years ago or something like yeah. this? And uh, it was very interesting to even just listen back to an episode that yep. we did. So, All right. Um, 
I'm going to tell everyone how they can get a hold of us. Uh, you can do so through several channels. Uh, one of them is Twitter, and we are at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. That's the SimPod. You can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website is thesim.podbean.com. We are on iTunes. We are on Stitcher. We are on Google Play. We are on uh, your favorite podcatcher apps. Uh, so feel free to search us, like us, uh, rate and review. It really helps the show. Um, you know, we were joking earlier, but all comments are, are actually valuable comments, and we really take them to heart. We've been receiving lots of really Clearly. good emails from everyone. Uh, how about we get on with the show? All right, let's get it uh, started. I'm the soul challenger. I'm the real damage. Now behold the cold and the straight magical. Because the sky brings flies in the strong road. The heroes built out in a path and a parent. Pray on the power and pray to your father. Because all of the quakes in the universe Hey everyone, uh, welcome back to the show. Uh, conference season for most academics has started. Uh, Matt and I decided to do an episode uh, to highlight conferences, uh, scholarly gatherings. Um, you know, the summer is the time where the majority uh, of academics will start to travel, uh, either nationally, locally, or internationally. Uh, this week is the start of the Federation's Congress 2017, which is hosted at Ryerson U from May 27th to June 2nd. Um, Congress has over 70 scholarly associations. It's currently in its 86th year. There are over 8,000 attendees that uh, will go to Congress each year. And this year's theme is the next 150 on Indigenous lands. And, um, you know... Talking about conferences, it's one of the the places where researchers, uh, academics go to present. They go to consume uh, some research, this kind of thing. Matt and I both have some experiences at these. Um, Matt, why don't you start us off, uh, you know, talk to us a little bit about your experience about conferences, maybe some of the big ones that are in anthropology. Sure. Um, so just clarity, uh, Congress is for like sociology and all the sort of subdisciplines of it or like, what is Congress? Like I, I have always been wondered because like in anthropology, cause I'm in anthropology and Phil sociology. So Congress is not something that us anthropologists like go to. So is it for sociology or no Congress, uh, is put on by the Federation of social sciences and humanities. So it includes anthropology, and uh, oh. I believe there are many panels on anthropology at Congress oh, each cool. year. I had yeah. no, I legitimately had no idea. Um, yeah. So I don't know. I was one of those kind of dorky undergrads who would go to the um, talks by like visiting scholars, or if there was any conference being held at UBC where I did my undergrad, um, I would always attend and ask like probably like a really challenging question or something trying to think I'm sending a softball out there but um I would always like them because it would give you a taste of what other academics are researching um so while I was at UBC I think it was like my last year there um I helped organize a CASCA's uh, conference and that's the Canadian Anthropology Association um so that was a really good experience I was just kind of like a runner and I got a free t-shirt and I got to go to the conference for free and, uh, yeah, it was really kind of exciting and, um, gave me a, it, like Casca is good because it's like a smaller association and it's like easier to kind of get into it. But, uh, my very first conference presentation, like my major one was actually at the AAA's annual general meeting. And that's like, just like Congress got like, I think between 10 and 15,000 anthropologists to send on a, on a Hilton, uh, every time actually. Um, and they, they have, it's just like. I describe it as like Comic-Con for anthropology. Like you get scholars from around the globe and um, as well as America, Canada, Mexico and stuff. Yeah, yeah it kind of come, it kind of turns into one of those uh, like Comic-Con sort of situations where you have really impressive researchers, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the sort of folks that we read that we... Uh, Always wanted to hear talk at some point because we just read these people. And then it's like, for me at once at AAA, I, I got to see Nancy Shepard Hughes and Margaret Locke. Um, co-panel a session it was at like 8 30 in the morning it was the first session and there was like 60 people in this small room which is pretty crazy uh, for that early and uh for the lot like the discussant part the the two of them 
were just did like a call to arms. They're like, the world needs anthropologists and get out there and and cover the important stories and all this sort of stuff. And then we just left like all jacked up and right. wanting to go yeah. do ethnography. Yeah. So like sometimes you get experiences like that, but then sometimes you're like you read some of these scholars and you're like, wow, this person's a, a great thinker, and then you go see them talk and you're like, ooh. Yeah. Yeah. yeah there's uh the starstruck or superstar effect that Generally, uh, you know, if you're a PhD student or a postdoc, uh, you've encountered at least one of these mm. where you're like, wow, this person, you know, cannot present. Yeah. And I, I had, I'll say his full name, Bruce Miller at UBC. He was my fourth year theory uh, professor. And one of the things he said was go to conferences so that you can see um, what these people look like and you can talk to them like outside the confines of academics and he's like, these are, he's the one prof that I had who's like, these are really good networking opportunities and you should go for it. Many of the other profs were like, eh, whatever, it's so big, you just get lost in the crowd. But Bruce Miller was like, no, you go up and you talk to people, you introduce yourself, say your affiliation and ask them what they're researching. Yeah. And, you know, these large gatherings, these large conferences are one of the only avenues uh, to create those extended networks, uh, you know, transdisciplinarity or interdisciplinarity uh, kind of way of doing it. Um, the associations are really good for creating tight knit, close minded sort of connections. But if you want to go beyond that, uh, you really need to, to go to a place that has lots of, uh, of people. So what were some of your early conference experiences, whether as an attendee or like the first time you presented at a major conference, which is always like a knee-knocking experience, but uh, what were some of your early conference experiences? Uh, well, I wouldn't say it was knee-knocking in my case. <clears throat> I, I enjoy public speaking. Um, and some of the first ones I did, um, interestingly, weren't graduate uh, level conferences, although I've done many of those. Yeah, me too. Um, yeah. The, you know, I think yeah, I would have to think back, but I think the first one I did was like an international conference at uh, 4S, the Society for the Studies of Social Science. I think that was one of the first ones I did. Um, you know, and that's a pretty major conference. Like, yeah, there was like you know, a hundred, maybe just oh wow, shy of a hundred people in the room. There was, oh wow, that that's actually huge for like a conference presentation. Yeah, uh, you know, there were um, usually like. 12 <laughs> now it's very possible that there are 20 people in the room but i like i remember it as being like shy of 100 um but i remember there being some superstars in the room um on the same panel uh so that was kind of interesting I, and and you didn't feel intimidated by that at all no that's no. interesting yeah like um when it comes to public speaking i've always kind of enjoyed it i i mm. see it not as like a, a chore yeah, I think some. Yeah. I think you know a lot of people see it as a chore, like oh, I have to go out there to present. I've always, I've always kind of enjoyed having the podium. See, I always like whether it's the start of the semester with a new tutorial group or every conference presentation I've had. I've been like very nervous, but like um, excited, nervous. Like I, and I don't know why, but I can like channel that into like um, I don't know, like a good talk or whatever, but I'm not naturally a public speaker. I just, I'm, all, but I also enjoy it, which is weird. Like, right. I think I was a shy kid when I was growing up. Right. That's why. Um, but this does kind of lend into a conversation about why we go, uh, yeah, to present sure. and why conferences in the academic world are important. Mm. Um, one of the things I wanted to, to talk about first is the idea that conferences are places where we share amongst peers, um, kind of ideas that we have for work or maybe our work isn't fully at the level of where it can be published yet and we want to get feedback and conference presentations are an avenue uh, theoretically at least to be able to do that and it's funny because like in this you know increasingly interconnected world that we live in um sound like an old fogey um but uh you think you'd be able to communicate with anyone you want to at any university as much as you want um, but there's something like special about a conference and that setting that kind of, it's almost like you go in there knowing that your purpose there is to exchange ideas. So yeah. a lot of the politics that sometimes exist in, um, academics kind of hopefully gets washed away. You might get like some dickhead in the front row who asks you like an impossible like question about a theorist you've never heard of. Um, but that's really rare. Like I, I thought that would be a lot more common, but it's usually like, you know, like, how does this relate to power? 
like it's just some easy like question you know and like people will come up to you after your talk if you did a good job and like want to hear more and exchange emails and it's really fun i like the the pub um experience like at AAA, there's always it's in a hotel always so it's attached to like lounge um and going in there and having like a scotch with some like hero of yours is is pretty crazy yeah uh, so i think you're touching on the networking aspect of it yeah for um, sure which is definitely a key component to um these sort of academic gatherings but it's just one component right there's there's um many other reasons why you would choose to pick uh a speaking location i guess in a time so like what are some of your criteria i guess yeah how do you pick um that's a really good question you know speaking about congress in particular it seems to me that increasingly everyone needs to have congress on their resume or their cv at some point yeah it's a mandatory um, appearance i think it, it's turned into one of these things and i'm and i'm not quite sure why um but it's one of those things so like i've chaired a couple uh panels at congress um i've you know co-presented at congress with a, another researcher like i have it on my cv but i i don't necessarily feel that congress for me is the ultimate or penultimate avenue to discuss my research but if you're going out with your CV, like whether it's for a prospective job or just sending it to somebody that you think is important, would you prominently put Congress on there um, and like give it like higher billing um, if it was, I don't know, to a Canadian scholar or for a Canadian academic job? Like, yeah, I don't know. It's kind of a random question. But like, like, do you move Congress up on your CV for different people? Uh No. No, like uh, Congress just gets folded into like, any other presentations I've done throughout the year. And it just goes chronologically or something. Yeah, it's chronological. Yeah. And like uh, the way I, I've seen most academic CVs structured, it doesn't even really say it's Congress 2015 or whatever. But those in the know definitely uh, can see where the city is. Uh, they know, you know, for example, uh, I'll, I'll just take the Canadian Historical Association. It's once a year. It's at Congress. So if you have... Um, Canadian Historical Association oh. presentation. You've done it at Congress. Okay, so that's um, the reason why Congress is so important because these sub, uh, what would you call them, associations? They're yeah, scholarly yeah. associations. Um, they yeah, they only meet once a year. I had no idea because like with AAA, um, it's sort of like you need to present there once. Like that's kind of the thing um, because all of your subgroups um, or associations, uh, they'll meet like two or three more times in the year in just some random cities or whatever. So. Right. So this is uh, Congress is sort of like an amalgam of all these associations. Yeah, Congress, uh, which is put on by the Federation, has this kind of federated model where scholarly associations are under its umbrella. So the Federation, um, you know, takes care of setting up each year where it's going to be. They take care of the majority of the marketing. So as a participant, as a presenter, what you do is you pay your association fee um, and then you pay a Congress fee. Uh, to be able to attend. And that gives you generally access to all the other um, avenues, public talks, mm -hmm. those sort of things that go on. But it's, it's, it's interesting. I'll just, before we go on, um, but like it's structured similarly to AAA's AGM. Like you sign up for the Congress itself. It's like a, maybe like $100 or something, a student rate. And then that gets you in and registered. But then you also have to select like two or three associations and they're each like 10 bucks each. And then so you're, Overall conference fee is like 150 bucks. Yeah, yeah, it's something very similar. Um, any grad students that's out there, you might want to ask your uh, administrator and your grad studies administrator if you have like travel bursaries that are available. If you're presenting at a conference, usually your university has like 500 bucks uh, travel money that you can apply for. So, um, so one of the other things that Congress does, and uh, I kind of get the sense that more um, associations and avenues to discuss research or doing this um they're bridging kind of the public world into the academic world and they do a lot of open sessions um so in particular i'm thinking of the federation's uh, big ideas talks where anybody can kind of go uh and and listen to them generally they're free kind of like a like a ted talk kind of, of like a ted yeah. talk um which i think so why i'm talking about that is the other reason why we go to, to conferences. So, you know, I think definitely for the networking, I think definitely to get feedback and questions and interact with our peers. 
And kind of the third reason, um, among probably many others, is to be able to, to play that role of a public scholar, to be able to say, my research can and does exist out there in the world. And one of the ways that uh, we have historically done it is to stand up on a soapbox and uh, to, to talk about it, right? Yeah, hold on tight to the podium. Yeah. Um, and it's, uh, it also, I think, I get the sense, especially at like AAA, it proves to people that you are making progress on your research, that you're doing something, because you can't present on the same stuff two years in a row. It's like a big faux pas at AAA, and people do like remember these things. So, like, I did it three years in a row. And each year it was like a different aspect of my, the same research, but I had to, it had to be completely different. Like the first year was like reflexivity and, and interviewing athletes with concussions. The second year was doctors and how they interact with athletes. And then the third year I think was um, like my media analysis because I was starting to run out of stuff to talk about. So um, showing that you have like original work and progress is being made and new ideas are coming out is, um, Conferences are a really good place to do that. I'm going to interject with a much more jaded uh, critique of what actually happens at at conferences. Um, You know, the idea that you go there to present half-formed thoughts and get feedback, I think, is the ideal. And I think, you know, for the most part, that's kind of what happens. But inevitably, there are these panels um, that have people who have published a book and who go there to promote it. So, oh, for sure. you know, yeah. they talk about an idea that's already formed, it's already published, uh, they're not even in the mode of revising it. Is and, there, um, sorry, is there like book fairs, like the book sale uh, thing at Congress? Yeah, yeah, yeah a big yeah. one. That triple, it's the same thing. Yeah, all like, the publishers they'll be there. like, and by the way, my uh, publication is in the bookstore. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's a way to, uh, I guess that's another form of networking, but it's definitely a way to plug your recently published paper, your recently published book. Um, but what kind of, you know, gets my gears going on that grinding is that there's really no reason to ask questions. So when someone stands up there and says, well, here, I'm going to present a chapter of my book, uh, what constructive critique can we give that is already published? Right. So we can't really change it. Yeah. Um, They should like conferences should always be works in progress. I guess, or like something you've published, but you're like, I'm trying to take this in a new direction. I'm using this as a jumping off point. Yeah, exactly. So using it as a jumping off point um, is is a good, I think, strategy. Yeah, but somebody who goes to read a chapter of their own book that they've already published is not interested in having people comment and uh, provide jumping off points. No, not really. No, No, they're just like probably burnt out from writing that book. Yeah, probably. And I've sat through a lot of really boring (laughs) presentations where the person pretty much reads a chapter of the book or, you know, reads a couple pages of, uh, of a, a journal article that, that they've published, you know, th- they don't make for very engaging uh, oh, presentations. They're, they're absolutely the worst. Those, 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 uh, reading verbatim off of an essay. Yeah. It's like, come on, man, what decade do you think this is? Yeah. Um, okay. So I think, you know, we're trying to, to, to go into, um, some maybe ideas about how we could present better at these things. Um, wh- you know, one of my first kind of, uh, suggestions is uh, to arrive prepared and how you do that is to listen to the chair the organizer of the panel if they say 12 minutes it's 12 minutes Mm -hmm. if they say 15 it's 15 time yourself repeatedly uh don't you know write uh 13 pages of text and expect to present it in 12 minutes it's not going to work yeah um so what's your length for a 12 minute it really depends. I need to time myself each time. Sometimes, yeah. it, like, I don't go by a page number. I, I can't even go by a word count. Sometimes I speak quicker, slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, depends on, you know, the content. Depends if I have visual aids. I need to time myself each time uh, that I present. But going to a presentation when the person clearly hasn't done that and they're going way over is annoying for everyone. Uh, annoying for the chair, annoying for your other analysts it takes away from the question period which is again the essence of why you're presenting um and it it really communicates just a lack of preparation and i've seen great scholars who write fantastic work uh commit those sorts of errors you know arrive and have a 30 minute presentation that they're gonna do regardless if you tell them that the time's up yeah that's brutal i've uh, actually seen a couple of ugly scenes at AAA where like some person, like one time, the guy, he was some, like, one of those Professor Emeritus kind of characters um, who's still presenting on research from the 70s. Um, 
just lost it. He was like, I was promised 14 minutes. I was promised 14 minutes and uh, refused to like kind of like take a seat and it got really like uncomfortable and he's like eating into the like the next person's time. And it was just sort of like you saw everyone in the audience, all these like tenured profs just kind of like jot his name down or put a little asterisk next to it. It's like never talk to that guy again. Yeah. 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 Like you got to kind of you don't have to be on your best behavior, but when you are networking, I think it is important to be like affable and likable and engaged in other people's research. And then those people will become engaged in yours. Yeah, it definitely says something about yourself. It says something about your approach to scholarly work, the way that you present, the the amount of effort that you put into it. Um, you know, I've heard a lot of adages about how conferences are basically just social get-togethers. And while that's true, that there is a huge social aspect to it, there 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 is serious academic work that gets done at conferences. Yeah. And, you know, anybody who says that there's no serious work that happens probably isn't part of uh, the conversation. And yeah, really, sure. like, you know, being part of the conversation is where uh, that work happens. And, you know, it, it, you know, when I say serious work, I'm not talking about lifting boulders. I'm talking about, you know, a bunch of people sitting in a room, tossing around some ideas, jostling with uh, some some debate, um, and you know, they walk out of there an hour and a half, two hours later, and they haven't found a solution, but they've contributed to some sort of public discourse around it. And that's, that's really what you're trying to do at a conference. Um, does like AAA does this where you have like a straight up panel, which is like, you know, five people standing there for 12 and a half minutes at a podium. Um, but then they also have like round tables and other things like this. Does Congress do the yeah. same thing? Yeah, they've diversified their, I'm going to call it their offering, yeah. uh, where you have the traditional academic panel, five, six people in the front with a chair. Uh, they do round tables. Uh, they'll do Q&A sessions. They'll do um, like a keynote speaker with a right. kind of Q&A yeah. after. Yeah. Uh, they'll do uh, meet the author where someone uh, will present part of the book uh, that they've do recently they do published. Do they do the um, poster presentations? Yeah, I, I believe that I hate pro- some associations... I don't like poster presentations. It doesn't... Unless you're doing archaeology or something like that, like, it doesn't work in anthropology, really. Like, I would rather just see, like, you talk about the place that you went to do your research with a whole bunch of pictures. Just, like, a ton of pictures, and you just flip through them as you're talking. Yeah, like, that's the, a good poster presentation to me. Yeah, the poster presentation format works really well when it's combined with, like, a... Uh, a four to seven or a five to seven sort of cocktail hour Mm. uh, where people can leisurely walk around, uh, look at your, your findings, you're standing next to a table and talk to you. Those are the poster kind of presentations that work really well in my opinion. And cause like at AAA, they, um, the posters are just out for the whole day and it will be like Saturday is poster day. And like, you know, you're running from like session to session. You got like three minutes in between and you're not going to be able to stop. And so you just see these, like, it's usually like, master's students like people who are they're presenting their master's research and they're just like feel bad because they're young younger and they're just sort of standing there like lonely by their poster so i think yeah maybe if it's like more confined into like a cocktail hour like that's something that i would actually want to go to and then you can just have a glass of wine and like talk to people about their research yeah that's been my experience with poster presentations Mm -hmm. uh where you kind of uh, almost like a science fair format um they might be set up in the morning so that uh people who are having coffee in the halls can look at them and then Mm. And then really it's like a meet and greet later in the day. Yeah. Um, it's a good icebreaker because you're just like, oh, this looks like interesting research. Please tell me more about it. And yeah. And you're just talking to a person. Yeah, it is uh, kind of another way of doing that. Um, okay. So another kind of, uh, I guess, I'm, I'm refraining from saying tips because like, you know, I think we could all get better at present. Yeah, of course. Like uh, people don't think that when we give tips, these are just like, this is just shit that we've like come across and we've talked about and like techniques that have worked for us and techniques that sometimes don't work as well. Yeah. Not all of these, like I actually use. No, exactly. Um, but another, I guess, suggestion is, um, when you're looking at a panel and you're trying to decide which panel to go to, um, you know, increasingly these get togethers are having simultaneous panels and quite often there'll be a talk or two, uh, that interests us, but we can't be in two places at once. Um, one of the things that I've found um, that works is um, if you have a group of people that, that you're traveling with or a group of people that are from your home university that are at these big things, um, split up and, you know, go to uh, the two panels 
and then meet back up for lunch or for drinks after and then talk about them. I find that if you're in the same room with the same people that you're traveling with, watching the same kind of presentations, you kind of like, yes, you'll talk about it, but you don't have as broad as an idea. Really? Oh, that's interesting. I thought you were going to say it becomes monotonous. Like, I would think so as well. Like, because like I found when I'm sitting next to my buddy, it feels like I'm sitting next to them in like a seminar at Carlton or something. And I'm like not really as engaged and we're just sort of like you know, writing little notes back and forth and stuff. Right. Well, like one of the ways that you can break that is like, you know, your buddy goes to one panel, you go to another and then you kind of report back. Because really, uh, you know, in a 12 or 15 minute presentation, um, the person standing up in front cannot relate everything about the research. They're going to relate the most salient points, uh, maybe a good story, maybe a methodological problem that they've overcome somehow. and you know, the act of listening, maybe taking a few notes, and then of telling someone will ingrain what you've learned uh, during that presentation. And sharing it is kind of what the flavor of a conference is supposed to be about anyway. So, you know, having a, a kind of like a resume, like a resume as in resuming, as in, you oh, know, okay, you know, um, afterwards you know just kind of lends credence to the whole flavor of what a conference should be huh. is that what resume means like afterwards uh, i don't know okay <laughs> I, was Maybe like, it was I was looking at you like i shot you yeah. one it looks like wait what i, I, I think i uh, that was a french word that's <laughs> in, in my head there. it's like frenchy and slip <laughs> yeah a fro jeez <laughs> franco what slip is. um what about um so obviously going to these giant conferences like congress and AAA are important um one of my um, like how do you pick those outside conferences? And I'll give you like a, just a quick example from my uh, grad studies. Um, I, cause I did the concussion research. I presented one year at um, the brain injury association of Canada's um, biannual conference. I think they have two a year and it just happened to be held in Gatna, like just across the bridge in Ottawa. So I'm like, that was one thing where I was like, I wanted to present at something outside of anthropology. I thought that was important. Also, if I'm going to, be like somewhat critical about medicine like i should present my research to doctors and um and it was like a 10 minute drive away with no like registration fee um for presenters so i'm like that was like a perfect conference and it was like really interesting i was the only social scientist there so like other than congress like how do you find other sort of speaking opportunities yeah that's a good question and i'm i think i'm starting to get better at it uh it's not easy it's easy and it feels good to go somewhere with people that are like-minded, uh, people that look and sound like us. It's really hard to do what kind of you did in your case, which was to go across. Into the fucking lines, Dan, man. Yeah. Because <laughs> I was like, here's my research about doctors to a room full of doctors. Right. So you kind of cross the disciplinary boundary, quote unquote, um, to go and talk to someone else. Um, I find that when people are able to do that, they're able to adjust their message. They're able to tailor um, their speaking points. And it makes for a much more rich and interesting conversation after. And right now I'm thinking of, um, you know, criminologists or uh, people who are interested in criminological research going and presenting to police or going and presenting to chiefs of police. Yeah, or prisoners. Like, or yeah, prisoners, yeah. sure. Um, you know, th those sorts of avenues require a tailored way of saying things. It requires us to be a lot less jargony in how we talk uh, because we can't rely on shared knowledge. Mm -hmm. So really, when you think about it, um, doing those things is what we should be doing all the time uh, yeah. as academics. Yeah. We should be crossing over uh, disciplinary boundaries and thinking of ways in which uh, social science, humanities and arts has an impact on uh the natural sciences or has an impact on engineering or uh, for practitioners or anything like that. Yeah. And we, I know I did in anthropology, sociology, people seem to know what you guys do a little bit more. They understand, like we use the term society, right? Well, I'm glad they do. Cause you I know? don't. And yeah, yeah slow down. <laughs> um, uh, but like, that's the way you prove relevance and show like the wider, world and the real world outside the ivory tower that we do things that are interesting like i had at least a handful of people after my talk at the brain injury association being like oh that's what anthropologists do 
I'm like, well, that's what medical anthropologists do. But and it was an avenue to talk about like, well, what is it that anthropologists do? I, th- I thought you guys are all archaeologists and or paleontologists, you know. So it's um, I think it's really important for the survival of academic disciplines to engage with the wider community and show that we are doing relevant things. Yeah, and, and it makes our work more relevant by having those opportunities as well. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree more. And um, you know, the word relevance is something that's been thrown around um a lot lately, and I think there's varying degrees of definitions of what relevance for social science research means. I think it's um very dangerous to start saying that to be relevant in research, it needs to lead to things like economic outcome or um, social science research needs to leave to discovery or these sorts of things. There is lots of foundational research that is very relevant that needs to be done. Um, but that's, that's maybe a discussion yeah. for, for another time. Um, but what I do want to pick up on, and I think um, one of the last things I want to say about conferences, is um, that conferences are one avenue in which academics can make uh, social science, humanities, arts matter. Um, making our research matter can mean a variety of things for different people. Um, one of the ways that I enjoy speaking about how we can make social science matter um, comes from uh, you know a book titled Making Social Science Matter. <laughs> well, wow, uh, that's right on the nose there, Phil. <laughs> it kind of is. Um, it's Why Social Inquiry Fails and How It Can Succeed uh, succeed again, and that's by Ben Fluvier, and that's F L Y V B J E R G, F L Y V B J E R G Fluvier. That's exactly how I would have spelled that. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> so, w- kind of the, the the point that I want to talk about um, is uh, Fluvier says uh, one of the ways in which we can make social science matter is by adopting a um, Frenesis, uh, frenetic approach uh, to research. And uh, in that, the objective for social science uh, within this approach is to carry out analyses and interpretations of the status of values and interests in society aimed at social commentary and social action, i.e. praxis. Um, so he kind of says the point of departure. So that's nice, right? But how do you actually do this? We can actually ask three questions about the research that we're doing. So one, um, where are we going? So, like, you know, take stock of social developments. Where are we going? The second one is, is this desirable? And that's the value kind of aspect of it. And the third one is, what should be done? And that's, I think, more of a normative kind of a- approach. But I think you can ask those three questions. Where are we going? Is this desirable? And what should be done? And we can do so in a way that incorporates rigid methodological and rigid theoretical approaches, uh, that incorporates um, different ways of uh, producing knowledge. So that can be, um, you know, a variety of, of ways in which we harness expertise. By asking these three questions, we get closer to making social science matter or that relevance kind of question that you brought up, Matt. Mm. Um so that that's actually kind of mind blowing. I wish they would have like taken a simple approach like this in some of my methods courses, but that's for another discussion. Um, where are we going? Um, sometimes in anthropology, we avoid making prognostications about the future um, because we're afraid that we're going to look like science fiction authors. We're like, well, I'm going to be Nostradamus and like predict the future. Um, so I think that's really interesting because I could never resist that. It's like, where is society going? Like that to me is the most interesting um, question in anthropology. Like where is culture going? I guess. And I think you can ask those questions without pronosticating necessarily, mm. right? Yeah. So, you know, we can, we can think of uh, something that happens to us in our daily lives mm. and we can say, okay, well, you know, what direction, what flavor um, is this taking? Is this something good or bad? Mm. Uh or is this something that requires more information? So the where are we going might be, wow, there's an increased level of secrecy around this aspect of life. Um, you know, maybe that's not the way yeah. that it should be. Maybe it needs to be made public. Mm. Or maybe there's too much attention being given to this other aspect of life. Um, so maybe we need to kind of broaden our horizon a bit. 
And then is this desirable is definitely something that is like, that's quite provocative for social scientists because we're supposed to keep this detached, objective, observational sort of stance um, where we're supposed to be able to check all of our political biases. Uh, This may be more for anthropology. I don't know, but I, I, Phil's nodding. So I imagine it's like that in sociology too. But like, and this was our postmodern turn in, in anthropology where we're like, we need to like check ourselves before we start checking other people. Um, but we found out quickly in anthropology that like that's an impossibility and it's very kind of pretentious to even think that you're going to be able to like know all of your own biases. And it's like, what are you, some sort of fucking genius? It's social science genius. Like it's kind of crazy. Like so where we came down in anthropology is kind of in the middle where you're like an effort is made to understand where I'm coming from first. So like the first chapter of my thesis was all about my concussions and reflexivity. Um, But I think it's kind of interesting that he phrases it, is this desirable? Like, let's embrace the value, like sort of judgments, for lack of a better term, that we do make in our research. And if you don't, like, point them out and and give voice to them, then you're being disingenuous anyway. Yeah, and, you know, you bring up a really good point about, um, I think what Fidel would uh, say is context-dependent observations. And that is, you know, to answer that question, um, who benefits, who loses, uh, these sorts of things, uh, is this desirable? You really need that context-dependent observation, that context-dependent analysis. So, you know, part of doing that can be um, through reflexivity, but another part of that needs to be going beyond uh, our own self-knowledge. And that's mm-hmm. where you you get into these really interesting conversations about power and methodology yeah. agency uh, yeah. agency yeah. Uh, with regards to uh, social science and humanities methods of yeah. collecting data yeah. uh, these sorts of things but then you know beyond that it also goes to well what do you do with that study um so yes. if, yeah if we talk about that a lot in anthropology man it's yeah because like, we had the the were like the earned reputation of going to these uh, colonial other places grabbing the information, going back to our universities, translating it into our language and never seeing those people again. Right, exactly. And I think, you know, we've come around full circle as to why we're talking about conferences and why one of the themes is uh, making social science and humanities matter is that one of the ways in which, um, you know, very tangibly we can convert that knowledge uh, creation, that knowledge dissemination process is through conferences. So we can take our findings. So we can take our preliminary answers or our preliminary kind of stance on um, those three questions that Fulbert mentions um, and then translate it at a conference and really give it back and see, okay, well, you know, is this resonating? Am I wrong? Um, Am I right? Did I check, like, did I have too much bias? Or maybe the, the, the process of giving it back confirms that, the bias that you had needs to be in the research. And, you know, an example of this is if you're taking a material uh, feminist perspective on a social problem, you're going to have a bias embedded in there that says that um, something along the lines of um, the material conditions of women are less um, valuable than those of men. And this, the current social structuring favors men over women. Yeah. And straight up patriarchy. Yeah. So when you bring in that bias to, to, to do your research, um, at a certain point, you can say, okay, that, that's, an, that's an okay bias to have. Because if I come in completely objective and disregard the historic material conditions of women, I'm not going to be able to do this research. So I have to start somewhere. So mm-hmm. conferences are a way that you can check those. Um, and, you know, it's not finding people necessarily that just uh, agree or disagree with you, but it's finding uh, a way in which we can start a conversation, have a conversation, uh, continue a debate, these sorts of things. Okay, so this will be maybe our last point because we're, we're running up. Okay, um, so I think it would be remiss to not mention that when you go to present at a conference, it's not like they just let everybody in. Like maybe uh, bigger ones like uh, Congress and AAA, like you have more of a chance to get in. The smaller ones, is it's harder. Um, so there's a great amount of um, gatekeeping that happens within especially the bigger conferences. Um, so that's one point. And then in response to that, is it time that um, like the millennial academic, like the people our age and um, coming up behind us, is it time that we start doing DIY conferences, like do-it-yourself conferences? Um, because 
I mean, shit, we're sitting here doing a podcast, right? It was a small, like, financial investment, but here we are doing it, right? It's very DIY. Like, is that where we see conferences going in the future? That's a good question. And organization um, of conferences. Yeah, I, you know, my personal opinion and my personal approach to that is that um, the democratization of knowledge, the democratization of the university is something um, good. It's something that should be uh, promoted. But, you know, there's always a thorn in my side that says the process of creating scientific knowledge um, is dependent and relies upon a strict peer review process. And in some ways, the gatekeeping that happens at conferences is a form of peer review. And you can keep the riffraff out a little bit. Well, yeah. <laughs> or just people with like not well formed thought or ideas. Like maybe it's like the very start of their masters or something like that. Like maybe they don't have a well thought idea or some like academic who's switching like research interests or something. Yeah. You know, I think those might be marginal cases. Mm-hmm. Um, I- I'm thinking a little bit more about the spread of fake news, uh, you know, in this era where we always need to fact check and second guess if you're consuming so much knowledge at a conference at such a high pace, it's very difficult to do that sort of process. Um, so there's there's a sort of um, you know self-regulating uh, aspect to the conferences that that tends to happen. Um, now it's not saying that you know every presenter that goes to a conference is going to spread falsities, but it's definitely a possibility. And I think one of the, the the ways in which social science and humanities gets critiqued is precisely because the stuff that we do doesn't carry the same um, verifiability mm. as hard sciences. Like scientific validity. Or exactly. Like that, yeah. So, you know, I can't go and verify that. Um, like the my narrative... findings from concussion research. Well, exactly. Like, yeah. Or like even shit my experiences of my own concussions. Well, that's How it. do you even verify that? Well, that's it. And then, so, you know, the level of um, what constitutes a fact in social science is different. But yet, you know, consistently and con- constantly we're being weighed against the hard sciences that has a different level, uh, a different definition of what a, a fact is. So, you know, the gatekeeping, I, I'm going to almost call it soft gatekeeping. I think uh, if you put together uh, a half-formed abstract you'll get into a conference if if the themes line up you know i've never really heard of there's not a lot of stories anyway of people just being outright denied yeah um definitely happens but you know very few cases yeah, they'll usually give you a chance to like it's like come on man at least edit your freaking abstract like and yeah. on wave you submitted the last moment and it's all like messed up yeah They're like we, we can't print this so like you just fix this up right something like that yeah um but I think, like, you know, that, again, points to the necessity to make social science and humanities matter. And that is that when we get the opportunity to present, it's not uh, presenting on something that doesn't mean, doesn't have a consequence, doesn't have an effect. So to take that 12, 15-minute opportunity uh, and make a contribution to the wider discussion, and really that's how we're going to make uh, the social sciences and humanities important and show that the work that we do is crucial. The work that we do is needed. It has social value. Um, you know, it's not in producing widgets. What we do is we add to, uh, you know, fuel debates and ideas. And um, like, I think that's our responsibility. Like, I think that's the responsibility of social scientists is to, um, put their knowledge and their research to actual social use. Yeah, exactly. Utility. And, yeah. you know, someone might say, well, you know, Phil, that's a pretty uh, naive view of what a conference is. Uh, you go there to meet people, to about? drink, no, and uh, all that stuff. No, but no. I think fundamentally, yeah. you know, everyone who goes there, and maybe it's a bit naive, but I don't know, you get into the business of academic research because you have a passion for it mm-hmm. and you want, you want to see uh, the world a bit better than the way it was uh, before you entered it. So are you excited about Congress, Phil? I am excited about Congress. I'm not, yeah. unfortunately, I'm not going this year. No. Um, I'm kind of tied down to, to my last few weeks of work. And yeah. um, where I work, we've put in a lot of effort in preparing for it. Um, oh, right. Yeah, for yeah. sure. That makes sense. Um, so you feel like you've already done Congress. <laughs> yeah. I, made con- I helped make Congress happen. <laughs> uh, in my own, I guess, very small, limited way. Yeah. Uh, so that's kind of a nice feeling. Um, oh. But I'm definitely going to be very active on our social media accounts. 
Um, so I'm going to tell people now how they can uh, reach us. Uh, and, you know, maybe this, uh, the last few episodes, are a very good travel companion for you. Maybe you need to, uh, you know, listen on a train ride or a plane ride over to Ryerson University for Congress 2017. But I will be active on our Twitter account, which is at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. That's the SimPod. Um, I will be active on our email, which is semi-intellectual, all one word, semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website is thesim.podbean.com. We are on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Google Play, we're on your favorite podcatcher of choice. Uh, so catch us uh, at Congress uh, through the airwaves. Uh, we'll, we'll be well. I guess it's through Wi-Fi waves. Yeah, something like something that. like that. Anyway, Information superhighway. Thanks so much for listening. Uh, it means a lot to us. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, keep it to twelve minutes. <laughs> Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Matt and Phil here. Um, thanks for staying with us. We got some recommendations for you. Let's kick it off with Matt. What do you got for us? Okay, cool. Um, so I like this podcast. It's been a radio show for like 30 years. It's called Fresh Air, um, produced by NPR. And WNYC is the, uh, is the radio handle. Um, it's hosted by Terry Gross. Um, who I think is one of the best interviewers that I hear have ever heard. Um, that's why I listen to this particular podcast is to pick up interviewing techniques. Um, just a couple of their more recent episodes. The most recent one was uh, an interview with this guy uh, Michael Rosenberg, who is a uh, like staff writer at the New York Times, and he's been writing about uh, General Michael Flynn for the last like twenty years. Um, and then there was um, a couple of days before that was a, a history of dentistry. So it kind of reminded me of the Montreal smallpox episode. Oh, nice. And then um, a couple of days before that was one on George Orwell and uh, Winston Churchill. And wow. somebody wrote a book about the dynamic that those two had and their world visions. Oh, that, they that had. sounds really yeah, interesting. Yeah, it was really good. They've uh, And then Aziz Ansari in the middle of there somewhere. Right. Yeah. Who, <laughs> like, you know. Yeah. So I recommend it. Fresh Air, uh, Terry Gross. Um, download it. Do you have a second one for us as well? That's it today. Well, I have a podcast to recommend as well, and it fits with the theme uh, of traveling. You know, sometimes when you're traveling, um, staying in, you know, strange hotels or motels or on a couch somewhere, it's hard to get to sleep. The podcast that I'm going to recommend is called Sleep With Me. Um, it is the podcast that puts you to sleep. Um, it's uh, made by a guy, uh, his name is Drew Ackman, uh, but he goes by Dearest Scooter. Um, I've been listening to this podcast for three or four months now. It is the most boring thing that you can ever kind of listen to, but it's just interesting enough, um, you know, that you don't necessarily tune out. So what it is, is it's, it's an hour long podcast that lulls you to sleep with, uh, stories, bedtime stories, basically, um, follows different themes. There's some recurring themes like he does, um, an overview of, uh, TNG, um, I'm not sure if I mentioned this on the podcast before. I might have. You might have, but um, I'd recommend it anyway because it yeah. was interesting. I think this might have been one where um, after we recorded with Evan, we were talking about it outside. Oh, it might have been. This is what I'm yeah. thinking about because you had a couple of funny examples. What are kind of the a couple of the off-the-wall things that uh, the, the host does to fall, make you fall asleep? Uh, well, one of them is he uh, reads through a Trader Joe That's it, yeah. uh, <laughs> flyer. So yeah. it's kind of like uh, their holiday edition where it, it talks about all the different products. So he sits down and reads it to you. He can't even get through the whole thing mm -hmm. uh, and it takes him an hour. Uh, another one is he, um, you know, uh, makes a salad. Uh, so, you know, you, he kind of walks you through going to the store, walking. Uh, <laughs> he, he loves Trader Joe's, which is an American uh, yeah. chain. Um, so he walks you through getting all the ingredients and then back to his house where he assembles the salad and you know, he calls it uh, creaky dull sit tones. Uh, <laughs> they really are. Uh, he, he calls it wings of meandering or something like that. Uh, it really is. I generally can't get through the intro. So they do like a, he does like a, maybe like a 14 to 20 minute long intro. Uh, can't get through it. I always fall asleep. On nights where I have a particularly hard time falling asleep, um, I don't even get through the main story. Um, but yeah, so Sleep With Me podcast. Uh, it, it's a good one. 
And you have a? Do you have a second recommendation for us, uh, or is it just one today? No, my, I, I guess like a, as a general kind of recommendation, sure. uh, particularly around traveling and particularly around uh, conference presentations, is um, you know just remain civil. Ah, just, yeah. Just be nice. Yeah, you can get uh, far in the world just by being uh, yeah. a cool person. And on the being civil note, I'm going to tell civil. everyone how they can reach us. Yeah. Uh, be civil. You can reach us on Twitter at the underscore S-I-M underscore P-O-D. That's at the SimPod. You can email us at semi-intellectual at gmail.com. Our website is thesim.podbean.com. We are on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and other podcatchers of your choosing. Thank you so much for being with us uh, again today. And uh, we'll see you next time. Talk to you soon.